0: Welcome to the Azure for Sports Podcast, hosted by the Azure for Sports team at Microsoft.
1: Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us for Episode 3 of the Azure for Sports Podcast. I'm Suzanne Tedrick, the Principal Azure Infrastructure Specialist here at Microsoft for the sports teams. As always, I'm joined by my wonderful colleague, John Flynn, who concentrates on data and AI. Hey, John.
0: Hey, Suzanne, how are you? Good to be back again.
1: Good to be back, especially after a short hiatus from the holidays. So we're really excited for the, the guest that we, we have on today. Mike Downey, who is a senior principal product manager, has a wealth of experience with many of the teams and leagues that we, we work with and had has had an opportunity to work on some very creative, very diverse technical, programs and projects. And we're really just excited to hear more about those experiences as well as what Mike thinks are Technology trends and topics that are going to be top of mind for sports teams and leagues in 2022, as well as giving some insight on specific technologies, i.e., the metaverse. So, we'll go into a little bit about that, but wanted to take this opportunity to say, Welcome, Mike. Thank you so much for joining the podcast.
2: Oh, I thank you for having me, it's a pleasure getting to be a guest on this show. I love what the work that the two of you have been doing so far. Obviously, it's my favorite topic. <laughs> so uh, very happy you guys are doing this, and thank you for having me.
1: It's an extreme pleasure. I joined the Microsoft team this year, and um, just being able to get a sense of what you've been working with and the legacy that you have in the organization has been phenomenal. So this is definitely going to be a treat for me. So thank you.
0: Yeah, no, right. we, are, we are absolutely among sports tech
1: royalty right now. So, <laughs> like,
0: stop
1: it. If we sound like we're like fangirling, fanboying, it's we are. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's all true. It's all true. so I'd like to take the
0: opportunity, Mike. I mean, look, we, we get to work with you on a daily basis, and it really is one of our highlights of our days. But, and you really are one of the 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 forebearers of of sports tech at Microsoft and outside of Microsoft as well with the work that you do in the industry as a whole. I'm going to throw the mic over to you, mate, and and just have you tell us a little bit about you and how you got here, and and then we'll get into uh, all the cool stuff that you're doing. But why don't we start there, mate?
2: Sure. Yeah. It's an interesting sequence of events that led me to get to do a job now that is a pretty cool job people when i tell people what i've been doing for the last eight years i've been pretty much fully dedicated to sports at microsoft i've been at the company and i backed into it it was pretty interesting i think (laughs) about eight years ago in fact it was whenever microsoft launched the xbox one so whenever that was pretty much when i started working on sports and the reason for that is those of you who are Hardcore Xbox fans might remember that when Microsoft did the big launch announcement for the Xbox One, the original one, um, the launch story was very focused on entertainment. uh, Sorry, media playback, like media entertainment, so that the that the console itself would be very focused on watching Netflix and game like live sports and things like that. And so, as part of the announcement, Microsoft made a deal with the NFL very large sponsorship deal to give the Xbox console exclusive rights for certain NFL content. And that was Microsoft's first big, I think, endeavor into doing partnerships in sports that involve uh, marketing. We had done some work previously with the Olympics, but that was largely driven by our product teams who were building our media streaming technology. And they wanted to have a huge live event that they could use to drive product development. So that was really the only other big sports thing we had done at the time. So when we did this big deal with the NFL, uh, the first thing that started happening was every sports business on the planet heard in the media how much Microsoft was investing in a relationship with the NFL. And tech companies, at least at that time, weren't really doing a lot of sponsorship investment in in pro sports. And so this was like a big statement, like Microsoft's coming big with one of the biggest uh, leagues in the world. And so all of a sudden, these sports businesses all started reaching out to Microsoft. Like, hey, we want some of that too. You're in the business of doing sports partnerships. So let's talk. And that's everything. Every business you can imagine in sports was reaching out to us. And at the time the team I was on, I was kind of managing the technical aspects of our relationship with ESPN uh, and Disney and other things. But because I was the quote-unquote ESPN guy at the time, my the VP I was working for was like, hey, Mike, we're getting inundated with all of these sports leagues reaching out and saying they want to work with us. We need someone technical to go talk to them and triage, find out what are the opportunities to do something that is of a technical nature, but can map to what our marketing team, the types of stories our marketing team is looking to tell. So effectively, I became the technical leader of our sports marketing partnerships, teaming up with our marketing team to help them evaluate all of the opportunities that were coming in. And we knew that we didn't want to do many of these. So we wanted to really spend time finding out what the technical problems were that these all of these businesses had that where Microsoft would be a really good fit for solving those issues. And therefore, our marketing team would be able to tell an authentic story about how Microsoft technologies solved a real significant problem for that sports business. So that's how I ended up doing that. And I spent a lot of time meeting European football clubs, every major league in the US, motorsports leagues around the world. And I just I, I, we just kept doing that and it kept working. So I it just became my full time focus. So unlike what the two of you are really focused on, which is at the day-to-day account relationship level with each of these these major leagues, I was really focused on marketing partnerships, right? Where there's a sponsorship element involved in it and figuring out like what's the thing that we can go build with this league that's gonna be really interesting and innovative and tell a great story. So that's what I did. So as a result, I've gotten to work with many of the biggest leagues and teams in the world now. Every major sports partnership Microsoft's done since the NFL, I've been involved in, including eSports. And I'm very fortunate to be able to say that because it's been a blast to get to work. And just honestly, there's so there's a partnerships we did and we signed and we uh, uh, and spent. A lot of time building on that's been phenomenal, but also just like p- opportunity to meet with all of the businesses that we didn't end up doing partnerships with. Because in many cases, we spent a long time evaluating and working with them and meeting with them and brainstorming and whiteboarding. And so that's been a great experience.
0: That's awesome. And I think there's two things, right? There's the sponsorship side of it, and then there's the running the day to day side of it. As you say, we straddled both those worlds, yourself right. being a performer and us being in the ladder. And I think one of the things you said that that really struck a chord with me, and and we've spoken about it many times, right, is that there's so much that you can do, right? The volume of, so when you say the word partnership, right, it's not just a monetary partnership. There's so many things from a technology perspective that Microsoft can be doing that picking and choosing them up is an enviable position to be in. But you end up having to do that. You end up saying no to this or yes to that, even though it may be incredibly awesome. So, if you would, talk to talk, us a little bit about, because I know you worked on the MBA, the you worked on everybody. you worked on the MBA. We've done some amazing things with them um, of late that's hit the press there. Do you mind just framing us some of the coolest stuff that you've done there? Some of the core optics things are amazing. Do you want to just walk us through a little bit there, Mike?
2: Absolutely. We were really excited to get the opportunity to work with the MBA and do something uh, very significant with them, which is... They reached out to us as they were evaluating multiple vendors to help them develop the next generation of what the industry calls the direct-to-consumer experience, D2C. And (laughs) direct-to-consumer is not sports specific, but the idea, the concept is that the content owner, the producer of the content can sell their content directly to their consumers without a a middle layer involved, and in the case of sports, like that would be a you know cable provider or someone where the league is selling games rights, and then the networks and the cable providers like they're reselling it. And so for the NBA, like for their digital content for live games over over the top, they have a direct to consumer experience, which is unique. Not all of the leagues do that, and so they had been outsourcing the technology behind their products to another partner and decided that they wanted to bring the platform in house so that they could innovate more quickly on the the fan experience so when you outsource like you are beholden to what features and functionality that your provider can do for you but nba wanted to bring that in house but find a technology partner who could work side by side with them and help them build it out and have that engineering discipline um, to do so. We ended up effectively bidding on that uh, opportunity, which involved a sponsorship component as well, but it was really more focused on, can we help the NBA build the fan experience that they want to build? And so we spent a lot of time trying to convince them that we could and we and we won that partnership opportunity. And so, what does it really involve? So, at Microsoft with Azure, we really, I think, more so than our competitors, tend to put more energy into our ISV ecosystem, ISV integrated software vendors. So, the other tech companies, basically, other software companies. We try to really focus on that and getting them lit up on Azure as well as they possibly can so that we can say that through our platform we can offer a much brighter uh, broader variety of of options and technologies. So it's not all first party stuff is my point, right? Like we want to have a really good offering through uh, third party ISVs. And so with the NBA we said, "Hey, we don't have a full stack first party streaming media OTT solution to the extent of, that some of our competitors have, but we do have industry leading partners who are running their platforms on Azure. And the the deal we did with the MBA was choose us because we will then work with you very closely at an engineering level to evaluate all of your, all of the third-party partners that we have on our cloud and pick and choose the best ones that best fit the MBA's requirements. And we will assemble a direct-to-consumer experience for the NBA instead of going to one of our competitors where it's all in-house first-party solutions. So it enabled the NBA to get a best-of-breed solution to their problems. So that's what we've been doing with the NBA now for coming up on, we're almost two years into the partnership in April of next year, but that's what we've been focused on. So what it means for, and the reason we chose to go down that path was, the direct-to-consumer experience is it has immediate impact on the fans, right? Like we want to tell a story where Microsoft technologies solve a problem that benefits the fans. And so whenever a fan will, and this is worldwide, whenever a fan watches NBA games over the top, this could be on a smart TV, on their phone, on their tablet, on their computer. Whenever they watch a game over the top, it'll be through Microsoft, through Azure, and through our technologies. And the big thing we're going to focus on for the new experience is how can we leverage our AI machine learning technologies to create a more personal fan experience for fans? And that's something that hasn't, I don't think, really been done in any significant way across the entire world of sports, like really significant implementation of personalization technologies. So that when you log into the experience, to not just to watch live games, but to watch clips and highlights and things like that. The interface itself is learning from your preferences, and this will take time because the algorithm has to learn, but the ideal scenario is a fan logs in and the clips and highlights and even helping the fan discover players and content that they may not have been aware of, but that we know they're really going to enjoy based on their viewing habits. That's one of the main goals of the project. And so we're having a lot of fun with that opportunity to really take the sports experience, I think, to the next level, because this is something, like I said, that hasn't really been done in a significant way across sports yet.
1: Just thinking about the outcomes and the and the outputs from this, how accessible would these kind of solutions be for, for sports teams and leagues outside of the NBA? is this something that they can think about doing themselves or, or or is there a hurdle that you see from them adopting this
2: Yeah one one of our motivations for doing this partnership with the NBA was that we wanted to build out a reference platform for over-the-top experiences on Azure that we could replicate because this is a growing need not just in sports but in content delivery and entertainment in general to have bespoke, uh, higher-end, more feature-rich solutions for over-the-top experiences. And it's going beyond, one of the, some of the jargon we use is like going beyond the rectangle, right? So you've got the, the rectangle of the video playback, but what else is happening, right? And fans are demanding more and more as viewing habits change. And yeah, one of our motivators for doing the partnership was let's figure this out with the NBA, which is, which is involving... A lot of people, a lot of engineers, and a lot of partners. Let's figure it out. Now, once we figured it out, we've done something for one of the biggest brands in the world, and he's a huge audience, huge worldwide audience, and tons of complexity. And we figured if we can figure this out and do a great job for the MBA, then this should be able to scale and work well for anyone. And so that's the intent, right? So as we get closer and closer to the launch, uh, which is going to be in fall of next year, or late summer, I should say, then but let's take it to the next place. And even today, like this solution that we're building with the NBA, like this is, these are all existing technologies and existing partners on Azure. This is all doable today. We're just taking it to the extremes. And that's, again, why we chose the project. We wanted to, one of the reasons Microsoft does work in sports is so that we can, push technology to the extremes because in almost every case you are pushing it to the extremes. And to the extremes meaning the size of the audience or the amount of latency that is allowed, the requirement for uptime, like all those things usually hit the extremes of sports. And yeah, that's that's a great motivator for us to get this right with the NBA and then be able to take this platform anywhere else. If anyone else wants to do this, they can do it today.
1: Pivoting a little bit to just talking about your tenure at Microsoft and the projects that you've been involved with is there any particular project that you remember that really just really resonated with you you really enjoyed the, the the work the technology anything that sticks out
2: yeah, so there's projects where the the people is working well i mean it's always great people it's that's even that's hard to say but i'll I'll just get right into it so there's two projects I have in mind one. We partnered up with the PGA of America to be the tech provider for the U.S. Ryder Cup team. So the Ryder Cup is U.S. versus Europe. It's every two years, and it's the best of American golfers versus the best of the European golfers. And there's a whole scientific process for selecting which players will be on the team. It's uh, If I remember correctly, I think it's 12 on each team. and It's a big deal, but the fans really love it. You get some patriotism mixed in, and it's just a fun event. Players take it extremely seriously. And Europe had been dominating the Ryder Cup for years, I think for over a decade when we got involved. And so they brought us in to help them with analytics and to help them to get an edge on their competition. And one of the challenges was, because this is like an every two years event, and it's a different coach each time on purpose that they didn't have the sustained organization where you would build a staff and build a strong analytics program it was more of a it would pop up every two years they would do their thing and then they would it would reset right and so they wanted a partner to come in and help them build a sustainable analytics program that could really give them some insights on how to beat the other team the other challenge with it was that it was a completely different format than what golf normally follows. It was team golf, which is at the pro level almost, there's only, I think the president's cup, there's only a one other place where team golf even happens. And in the Ryder cup, it's three different game formats that are played throughout the tournament. It's a four day tournament. So there's a lot of complexity and a lot of uniqueness to it. And so we were all in, like we dove in and we helped them figure out like, what's the data? and Like, how do you collect it? There was no data collection. There was no shot collection. The PGA tour has shot link, which collects data for each shot, shot for shot. But the PGA of America and the Ryder cup team, like they didn't even have that capability. So we had to first figure out like, how do we collect shot data? How do we look at historical data and things like that? But long story short, like we got to work with some of the world's greatest golfers in the process. Uh, we worked with the team captains. Like We spent time in Florida with Jim Furyk, who was the captain the last year that we did it. Tiger Woods was a captain on the team at the time. We built an elaborate Power BI dashboard that was used by the team captains during the event and in preparation for the event to look at individual player stats. And part of the challenge of the Ryder Cup is figuring out the combinations of players for each individual team because they have a two-on-two format for two of the three events, figuring out mathematically what are the best combinations to leverage the strengths of your players. So that was a fun challenge. So that was that was just really neat because I also love golf, so it was great to get to see it from a very different and unique aspect but actually get to make an impact. And the Americans finally end up winning uh, the tournament, so they turned the tables. So there's that. And then the other projects that more on the technical complexity of it and just as a personal challenge, was when we decided to do our first esports partnership. So I joined our marketing team in evaluating a few different options: big game studios, uh, leagues, and then individual esports teams. And we tried to figure out like what's the best fit for Microsoft for our first partnership in esports. And we ended up, I mean, talking to a bunch of brilliant people, but we landed on partnering with Cloud9, which is one of the biggest esports teams in the world. They're uh, US-based in uh, Southern California as are most of the teams in the US. And it's a fascinating organization with fantastic leadership and it had this just great vibe working with them. A fun startup environment where everybody's like they basically all live and work in these big houses down in in LA in Santa Monica. They practice in these big houses that the players all live there together, the coaches are there and it's just this very scrappy startup vibe, but it's huge audiences and huge eyeballs and a very unique culture. And our challenge in working with and partnering with Cloud9, which we're still active partners with, the challenge we decided to take on was one of the most popular esports in the world, if not the most, which is League of Legends. And that's their marquee team is their League of Legends team. Our challenge was to help them take their data analytics to an entirely new level. And what we felt was a level that no other esports team was at by really diving in with some of our data scientists and engineers, looking at League of Legends data, looking at really interesting, unique ways to collect more data, League of Legends, you know, esports in general, like being out there playing video games, like the the availability of data is very different than traditional sports and usually far more comprehensive many of the game publishers have APIs for their games, for their multiplayer games. And so you could tap into things, but in some cases it's not well organized. In some cases, like the pros are playing on a completely different build of the game. And so figuring out how do we get more interesting qualitative data, one, but then figuring out what do we do with that data to give Cloud9 an advantage on their competition and to find really interesting insights that 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 are actionable. So it's one thing to be like, here's what's happening. But it's another thing to say, and here's what you need to do about it. Like, that's the hardest part. And so going through that process with them, advising them, like they hired up data scientists in order to do this with us. So they built out a full team of sports analytics, basically, for esports. And we ended up building some really interesting technologies that do things that I don't think anyone else is doing and provide insights to the team, and the players and the coaches that resulted in right after we went live with the platform, they won their the North American championship and they've been dominating ever since. And they just actually went further in worlds than any American team has ever gone at the world championship level, which is generally dominated by South Korean teams and so like it's working so the before and after impacts the technology was the most significant of any project i had worked on which is really fun to see and we had a lot of fun building it too
0: that's awesome immediately grat- gratifying so i think one of the, the cool things and thank you mike we're, we're probably you here all day with these stories mate but the cool thing is, we're talking about golf. We're talking about basketball. We're talking about esports. We do a lot of work with the NFL and individual clubs and soccer, etc. The cool thing that that we bring to the table as Microsoft, and I'm going to put you on the spot, right? Is fill in the blank here. Why Microsoft? And why Microsoft for sports specifically? Why come to us versus one of these scrappy startups that you were talking about that does one thing really cool and they get a lot of quick press around it? Why come up to somebody like Microsoft who it's very varied in, in their approach to technology across multiple industries and put a sports problem in front of us.
2: Yeah, I think one, so first from a philosophical standpoint, I think our intent is to enable the businesses to do more with, with what they have. And so we take that same approach with our sports partnerships. We, it's not we'll come in, we'll build something, and then we'll leave. It's we'll come in, we'll work with you to figure out what should be done, and then we actually will train your engineers, we'll work with your data scientists, we'll figure this out together so that you can be self-sustaining as you go forward because our partnerships aren't infinite. So we do our idea we're involved, but we want to set you up for success. And so that's number one in all of the work that we do. And I don't think that's common in, in partnerships in sports at all. And so if we're able to come in, solve a problem together, and then walk away with them in a much better state than they were before we joined then we call that a success. So that's one thing. Two, as far as technology, like the breadth of technology that we have available to us is significant and it's hard to compete with. There aren't a lot of companies that can go go to the scale of breadth from a technology standpoint that we can, but we focus on like implementation of that technology and making it fit. And so It's not just one individual path or one individual uh, product or type of tech, but it's how can we pull things together to build a full solution. And that's hard to do. The resources that we have through our consulting group have to have experience working with a broad variety of technologies and integrating them together, and like we're doing with the MBA, for example. That's just hard to do. It takes a lot of expertise and experience in order to do that. So I think like those are our assets is that we lean in from an engineering standpoint. We think more than our competitors do. Like we, we get very close to our partners at an engineering, engineer to engineer level. And we focus on engineering fundamentals. We focus on uh, sustainability of your code and the technology and on upskilling and all of those things so that we can set you up for success and enable you to do more with the technologies that you have. So I think that those are the big differentiators: broad variety of technology and a heavy focus on engineering fundamentals.
1: I, I think we, we offer a bevy of things that I, I think might be harder for smaller organizations or, or ones that don't have the unique insights into some of the specific uh, use cases and, and issues that are relevant to the, you know, sports industry. I, I think just just talking to you. If given all of the projects that you're, you're, you've been involved in, I'm definitely going to have to pick your brain for <laughs> after
2: this. And, and I should add that one of the unique ca- capabilities that we have is that we can draw on our learnings from other engagements. So like we've been doing these sports partnerships for a long time now and not just sports, but like across obviously all the other uh, partner engagements that we do, but the ability for us to, Draw on our learnings from other engagements and apply those learnings to uh, the partners we work with now. Like that's really significant as well, right? Like we try to avoid making the same mistakes more than once.
1: Absolutely, And, and it just serves to help our clients far better and get to you know where they want to be a lot quicker than having to redo things over and over again. Yeah. So as we're at the end of the year, thinking about what's coming ahead, are there any specific technology trends or, or, or topics that you think are going to be front of mind or more prevalent for uh, sports teams and leagues for 2022?
2: Yeah, a couple of things. One, the pandemic, I think, changed fan behavior and fan expectations. And it, obviously, it's too early to say, but I my gut tells me that it's changed them permanently. So the way fan expectations for how content gets to you for variety of content, how you experience it. If you look at sports in in particular, like we've spent a lot of time with the NBA talking about collaborative viewing experiences because through the pandemic, like we stopped going to sports bars or going over to our friend's house to watch the game together, which has always been a big part of traditional sports, like getting in the same room together and watching games and that'll always be a thing of course but but now through the pandemic like people are watching games solo or they're jumping on facetime or whatsapp or they're texting their fans the fans texting their friends more frequently during a game like oh did you see that play or fantasy sports interactions like that changed everything and it changed expectations among fans so i think the question now is what do sports Businesses do to respond to that, and I think there are some lessons learned learned in in terms of fan interaction from the more modern sports like esports and how their fans interact with the sport, with the players, with the teams, with the leagues that traditional sports can apply. And when I said collaborative viewing, is there a scenario where fans join a team's Zoom-like experience? Where we're on camera, a FaceTime like experience, and we're where one of the rectangles is the game, and we're all watching that together. Does that make sense? Are our fans gonna wanna do that? Is there some hybrid of that? Is there some other version of that? Um, and if it's not something like that, that maybe it's just being in a room together watching the game over the top, where you're not necessarily on webcam, but. Maybe you and your friends, or your local community, or maybe maybe you're like an expat living in a city and you're a fan that of a team that's not the local team, and you want to do a meetup, a virtual meetup with other Steelers fans who live in San Francisco. And maybe the app experience could enable that, and you and your local group could interact during the game. So maybe you can make little micro bets against one another to earn points. And maybe you could predict or vote on what's going to happen next or use trivia or some kind of interaction model that makes the, the game more enjoyable and gives you that kind of human to human interaction. Maybe you could challenge your others in your friend group while you're watching game day, like those types of things. I think there's a lot of opportunity for Fan interaction that accompanies the live game experience that goes beyond just lean back on the couch and stare at the rectangle. And I think that's changing. We've been talking about the lean forward experience in, in sports for years, but I think the pandemic might be the catalyst that really makes that a real thing versus the old school mentality of no look at the end of the day people just want to watch the game they just want to lean back and watch the game and do nothing and there are people who definitely want to do that but i think that's changing younger audiences in particular are expecting to to be able to interact with the entertainment experience so i think that's one of the things that's on the rise the other thing just the web 3.0 impact on sports and what's going to change there and i think there's Obviously, implications on the sports collectibles and things like that That seem obvious, but I think there's also potentially opportunities around kind of identity for fans and – excuse me, identity for players and it, perhaps even fans – But looking at things like NFTs and name, image, and likeness, and how can you empower players, especially now that U.S. college sports is enabling their players to monetize their name, image, and likeness, which was never allowed before. And so I think there's opportunities in all of that potentially to leverage non-fungible tokens or blockchain to track the assets for an individual player, the contracts and deals that they're signing. And give that player more control over their own image over over time. So I don't know. I think there's some interesting things on the horizon that are going to evolve with sports, but it's a lot of it's going to be around the fan experience, and I think moving away from the traditional models of just lean back on the couch. But how do you do? How do you cater to a short form audience like an audience that is a TikTok, uh, Snapchat, Instagram stories type of mindset? And how do you get them to focus for three hours? Because at this point, that's not really happening with young people. Like, they're not sports fans. Like, that's increasingly the case. And so how do sports leagues cater to that type of audience? And I think it's doable, but they have to change the way they think. So, anyways, that's that. those are some of my thoughts on the next few years of sports. It, it, there's a lot of opportunity there. Absolutely.
0: I think one of the, the recurring themes, and I completely agree with you on, on fan experience being – the next frontier that the leagues and the club's team franchises need to sort out, right, is the conversations that we have the most with the individual teams is how do we use technology to affect that change? So if you look at it from a fan experience, fans have never demanded more from technology because of the way they want to consume, but also they demanded more technology because they want to bolster up what they're viewing. They want to see statistics now in real time. They want to see what is a competing market doing in the game because that affects my fantasy score and et cetera, et cetera. It's not just what's on the rectangle in front of you, which is that it was 100% on point. And a lot of the conversations we're having with the teams are, how do we get that snackable attention span across a three hour game? Right. Or in the game of cricket, five days, no result. How do we get people other than us boomers looking at the game and saying, this is great, right? So a lot of those conversations, and it, it always comes back to technology. Suzanne and I sit through call after call after let's use the data we have and create new data and then create new experiences. that could either be around NFTs or these watch parties, which brings us to the the, the new buzzword, metaverse. How can we take advantage? Because this train is going, man, and everyone's jumping on it. No one really knows where it's going to be going, but they do want to be on it, right?
1: Well, and so, before you answer, Mike, if you wouldn't mind just giving your high-level overview of what the what you define the metaverse, because I I see a lot of different interpretations mm-hmm. and, and meanings, and so I was just curious how you would interpret it, and yeah, if you can offer insight on that.
2: Yeah, first of all, I think the theme is more signal and less noise, right? Like the end of the day, that's the theme. And that's when we're talking about entertainment. And that's what we're talking about. Sports is entertainment. That's why sports exists is entertainment. And the thing that makes fans watch is the drama, right? If sports doesn't have drama, then it's not interesting. And so you need tension and drama and all of that. And so you have evolving interaction models with fans and metaverse is going to be part of that. And I think the idea is that Digital goods can have uniqueness and value in a way that it's never had before. And you, you I think to best really appreciate metaverse, and again, this is super conceptual and ambiguous at this point, so who knows what it's really going to be. I don't even know if Zuckerberg knows what it's really going to be. But I think in general, the idea is that there's already a precedent for earning badges, unlocking skins in a game, unlocking various items that you use in the game, like all of that stuff, why can't that be portable and why can't I own it? If I unlock this great thing that I love, why does it have to stay stuck to that game or that network? Why can't I keep it with me and make it part of my own identity? And I think the expectation going forward is that these types of digital goods will be part of my identity. And I think that's the core of metaverse, right? Is that my, 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 What I do in the real world now, it translates to in the digital world, where I can have accomplishments, achievements. This gives sports opportunities to provide incentives to fans to do things in order to unlock a badge, an achievement, a digital good, a skin, fan merchandise that's digital in nature that they can transport to other places, and one of the things that's, I think, super common with sports, but also somewhat unique to sports and inherent in its value is as a fan, I want to evangelize and express my fandom outwardly. Right. That's a huge part of sports. It's not something that I do just by myself in my own home, but I want to share it. I want to share the, the fact that I'm part of it. And I want to, in many cases, I want to do so aggressively. Like, I want to share that uh, I am a 49ers fan, live or die. That is my favorite team in the world. And any chance I get, if I pass someone on the street wearing a 49ers hat, I give them a, a nod and a smile. If it's a Seattle Seahawks rival, like, I will go out of my way to make a comment or something if I encounter a Seahawks fan. Like, that's part of the sports experience. Metaverse can take that. Not just translate that from the physical world to the virtual world, but take it to a whole different level because with these digital goods, your ability to share, it grows exponentially where you can share it and how you can share it and within what context you can share your fandom. And that, think beyond the avid, like my gaming avatar can be wearing a 49ers hat. Yeah, Yeah, okay, that's obvious. I can show my sports memorabilia off, great. But I think it goes beyond that. Like, I have, I've had, a, like, many sports fans have had experiences where they got an autograph when at some point in their life and they have it hanging on their wall. And there's a story behind how you got that autograph. Why can't those types of experiences translate into a digital world as well? Like, uniqueness and things where, like, I was in a special circumstance, either, either I worked hard for it or I was in the right place at the right time, but let me show that off. That's the emotional connection to sports that I think once the virtual world the metaverse gets to a certain maturity i think that is could be tremendous opportunity anyway that's my thought on on that area who knows right now but i am getting more and more hyped at first i was very cynical about <laughs> blockchain and nfts and yeah it's a bunch of people just getting excited about it but now i'm getting very i'm starting to get really amped up on it
0: yeah you and me both i was locked in this phenomenal conversation with one of the, the people at, at the NFL around how the metaverse can allow fans to be in the game versus watch the game,
2: right? right. Because right.
0: you you remove the physical boundaries of a game with players on a field at a particular time in a particular venue on a particular day. And now you've given the ability for them to be part of it. I think, again, the possibilities are endless. I don't think it's one of these big data moments where big data was everything and then it fast became nothing but everything at the same time. right? It diluted itself real quick. I think the metaverse, because it's more tangible and it's more relevant to the newer fans that are coming up, because the newer fans are coming up through phones and tablets as their primary means of communication. So why would i not just consume the way i'm consuming now so we're locked in this heavy debate of how do we meet the fans where they are and i think the leagues are are jumping on it real quick it's outside of just collectibles right nft video snaps or or a nice shirt or a ticket stub commemorative ticket stuff those are are collectibles that that it's it's a multi tens of billions dollars worth of business uh, already and that's great but it's that physical virtual which is the juxtaposition i get that but it's that physical virtual experience of me being now in something and right. it's cool right. so people are going to do it because it's cool it's like oh it's lame i don't want to admit my boyfriend well, i'm doing this it's of course look dude I'm in, the, I'm in the metaverse
2: not not just that john but i think the biggest barrier to the progression into web 3.0 and metaverse and nfts and blockchain is is a generational problem like being Gen, I'm a Gen Xer. Like I think we're probably in a similar um, state where like, we grew up in a world where the Internet didn't exist, but then we were at a young age where it became a revolutionary, world-changing event, and we lived through that progression of pre and post. If you look at the audiences, the younger audiences, they grew up in a world where digital goods were just a fact of life. There is no contrast there. It's just a thing they've always known. And it's hard for us who know the difference, who know who see the contrast and can look at it and go like, why would anyone pay money for a JPEG? I don't understand that. But I think you have to take yourself out of that mindset and realize that it's very different. You're not thinking about it in the right way. And I think that'll be the biggest barrier because people who didn't grow up in with that as their reality can't fully appreciate that the mindset and the appeal of that so that's where you have to start you have to start by understanding people who grew up with that as their reality and have them talk to you about the money they've spent on digital goods and how they use it and why it's important to them then it starts to make sense otherwise you're just looking at like why are people paying millions of dollars for a jpeg anyone can look at this jpeg that's the wrong way to look at it
1: you're absolutely right, Mike. Because as soon as you said that, I started remembering my America Online account and <laughs> modem and thinking that, that just just blew yep. my mind. So you have to take yourself out of the equation, and, and and like you said, it's it's different. They've grown up with this. This is native to them, and so it it matters.
2: Yeah,
0: assumption matters as well. It's crazy. So I, I have two. Younger kids, and we're talking about going to see one of their favorite artists perform live. They've never been to a live concert before. They're super, super excited. So we said, "Look, we got you tickets." And my youngest daughter said, "Cool, what channel is it on?" <laughs> well, no, we're actually going to go go see them in person. <laughs> <I>? Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> <Wait, laughs> they They exist.
2: <laughs> That's great.
0: <laughs> so is Look, I know we're coming up on time, and, and I said we, we could keep you. For, for hours and hours more on this as well. And thank you so much for being so gracious with your time on that. So I think uh, one of the, the closing questions that, that I have is from a fan experience perspective, how integrated do you see the monetization of the betting angle? It's it's not legal yet in all the states, but it will be. How integrated do you see that in just in your day-to-day? Right. I, I have a game. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. get with that. How, how do you see that morphing into, it, into
2: yeah. existence? So there, there was a Supreme court decision a few years ago that did open the gates for more online betting in the U S which is great. And obviously it's already a huge thing in other parts of the world. Um, I like to look at sports betting, not from the traditional betting side of the business and ask the question like, okay, now that there's, now that they can do more online stuff, how is betting going to change? I look at it from the other direction of the fan experience side of, okay, now leagues can offer a betting experience as part of the core product, integrated into the core product. Instead of going to the sports book in, in Las Vegas and placing your bet there, that's a very disconnected experience. But if betting can be part of the core product, then that bakes, then I start thinking about it in the same way I think about fantasy sports. Or, like, I'm an avid fantasy football player. And when I think about fantasy football, like, it changed my enjoyment of football, right? Like, without fantasy football, my enjoyment of the sport would be very different. And in one way is that my fantasy roster has players from other teams that aren't my favorite team. But my emotional connection to my fantasy team gives me a reason to watch other games that aren't my team and care about how individual players, individual teams are doing across the league. That completely changed my interaction model. So I think if you look at what what can betting do for the fan experience, I think one of the biggest challenges with traditional sports being that drama and tension is really where the value comes from in sports. There are many times while you're watching a game where there's no drama and there's no tension. It's just a boring game, right? And even the most exciting games have a lot of boring moments in them that are just less compelling for a fan. And in a world where there's increasing distractions and other rapid access to entertainment on your phone, so you can lose a fan's attention in a millisecond, like it's there and it's always there. They're not in a captive room with no phone. They always have an opportunity to lose their attention to something else then I think that's where betting technologies and betting and thinking about betting in a different way can really enhance the fan experience because it can give me things to do, not just myself, but with my friends, with my family, with my local community. But if I could be, like I mentioned earlier on this discussion, if I can be interacting with the game, even in the slow moments with these little micro bets, and that can also, by the way, be me earning loyalty points that i can use for merchandise discounts like this doesn't have to be cash but i think if you can figure out the right formula so that i have a reason to lean forward in a sport that's uh, sorry in a entertainment that's always been lean back but if i can lean forward and that makes my experience better not just different but better then i think that's where sports betting can really have an impact
0: okay i love that lean forward concept because i think to your point earlier is how we now get to interact with the entertainment, yeah. right? that, that's that's something that, that new paradigm shift is, is awesome.
2: So, and and uh, to use your term earlier, like boomers, old school sports fans will tell you like, whoa, sports is all about leaning back. Stop with this, <laughs> lean forward stuff. And what I say to the boomer is that's your experience with sports. That's what yeah. you're used to. But that's not what your 14-year-old is used to. And guess what? At some point, that 14 year old is going to be a 25 year old and they're not going to care about your sport anymore. So if you think sports has to be leaned back on the couch or else it has no value, you're thinking that to your own detriment. Like you have to think about how people interact with content now.
1: Agreed. Uh, absolutely. And you hit it right on the head, Mike. It's about cultivating those personalized experiences to, and meeting people where they are. We're just about at time, but. Again, to echo John's sentiments, Mike, it's been a true pleasure. Thank you so much for your time and insights. We'll definitely be bugging you later on.
2: <laughs> happy, to, happy to
1: come back.
0: <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Mike. This <laughs> has been amazing. And, 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 and again, we get to interact with you on a daily basis. I'm totally fanboying and, and, and Suzanne's totally
2: fanboying.
0: <laughs> it's amazing that, that the the, viewer, the listeners of the, the podcast get a brief conversation with you as well. So thank you again for being so gracious to come on
2: the the show. My pleasure. And thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: And with that, everyone, I will bring our podcast episode to a close. Thank you for listening. And please feel free to reach out to John and myself for any feedback that you have on our episodes, as well as suggestions for uh, upcoming episodes in the future. Um, Until next time, thank you so much and take care.